but I think for many of you, you never would have heard it. And this is one of those messages, you know, for those of you who are authors or you write songs or you write stories or you do anything, even if you build things, you know that sometimes a project starts as an idea, just a word. You get a word and you build around it. You get a thought and you build around it. Then there are those times where through God's grace, he just downloads the entire blueprint to you. You don't have to do anything but frame it out. He gave you the entire blueprint. And this message, I've taught it all around the world. I've taught it in the nations of Asia, throughout Europe. Uh, taught it in several different states in America. And uh, it's always been one of those messages that are truly impactful in people's lives. And I expect that today it will be no less impactful. In fact, it ought to be even better because I believe it was Charles Spurgeon said, you ain't preached a message right till you preached it 50 times. Wow. And if that be true, then there ain't many messages I've ever preached right. Because I don't know if I've ever preached any. This one maybe 50 times. But before we get into it, I want to give you the title. And then I want to tell you how it came to be. Because how it came to be plays a very important role in the impact of it. The title of this morning's message is, I Don't Know Moments. And the way it came to be was back when my wife and I were missionaries. And... Um, I was invited to this little remote village, very, very close to the Romanian border, but still within the, the Ukraine. No, no, Hungary. I was in Hungary. And I was traveling across Hungary to get to this little village. And I discovered, my wife and I had an agreement. She didn't always agree with it, but I enforced it. And it was this, if we were going west, she could come with me. But if I was going east, and it was the first time, she stayed home. Because the closer you get to Russia, the more archaic and unsettling and just every adjective you could think of. The that You go west, it's like going back in time, and the more corrupt it gets. The closer you get to Russia, the more uncertain you are of what's going to happen. So anytime I had to go east, I, and it was by our, for the first time, I left her at home. Her job was to pray me back. Right. Getting into any nation is never a problem. One missionary said there's no such thing as closed doors. You know, we all have any of you ever heard about a nation that that's those closed doors. There's no such thing as closed doors as long as you don't care that you come back out once you get in. You following me? Everyone say a soldier of the kingdom. If you don't care about coming back, there's no such thing as closed doors. You go where he sends you. But I have discovered that, you know, if we go east and something goes wrong, I can usually get myself out of most situations. I can either walk my way out or talk my way out. But it's better if I only have to care for myself. If my wife was with me, then that just made things much more complicated. And so this time we were going, you know, going towards Romania. It was for the first time, never been there. So she stayed home. And so I boarded a train in Krakow and began my journey. And these trains are, are very long, tedious ways of travel because you stop at every little village. And when you're in Hungary and you don't know where you're going, I don't know, if you Google it, just look up Hungarian cities and see how they're named. You know, they got like 18 letters. They're all, or no, what you got? Not adjectives, they're vowels and consonants. They're all consonants, there's no vowels. You know, so you, you try, is that, nope, that wasn't it. And so you got to pay attention. You don't go to sleep. You all follow what I'm saying? So you got to stay alert because, I mean, if you miss your, if you miss your city, they don't turn around trains. You keep going. They don't back up either. So bad, so sad, you get off at the next stop and make your way back. And so, you know, we're going and we're going and we're going. And, and we finally, we get to this little I've been on the train probably 13 hours. We get to this little village. I can tell it's little because from the train stop, I can see the entirety of the village. I mean, I can see where the borders are. And so, we're, I, you know, we're sitting there waiting, and I know it so either people can get on or get off, but apparently where I'm going is, is not a very popular place because ain't nobody getting on the train and ain't nobody getting off the train. I mean, I might be the only one on the whole train. And so we sit there, and in a matter of moments, Two armed, I don't know whether they were policemen or guards or soldiers, they, they came into my booth and began to talk to me in Hungarian. 
Well, I didn't speak Hungarian, and the little bit of Polish I knew wasn't helping me in the least. And so when, when, when you're faced with that as a missionary, you just learn every authority. If you live in Eastern Europe, every authority wants your documents. They want to see your papers. Do you have the right to do what you're doing? And so I handed them my ticket and my passport, thinking they would look it over and hand it back to me. Well, when I handed it to him, he took off with it. And then the other guard grabbed my luggage, and he took off with that. So I did what any well-seasoned, intellectual, wise traveler would do. I followed them. Because if they got your passport and your tickets and your luggage, you want to know where they're going. So I followed them, and they walked off the train, walked to the middle of the train platform, sat my luggage down, sat my papers on it, pointed, and I kind of felt like a dog. You know, I knew what they were saying, stay here. So I, I went down and I, you know, I grabbed my stuff and I turned around to see what they were doing. They got back on the train and the train took off. And so I'm standing here, it's toward the end of the day, and I, I'm going, I'm, and I'm thinking, Lord, what do I do? Because I can see the whole village from where I'm standing. There ain't a Best Western in this village, I can guarantee you. There ain't no restaurants, no KFC, no thank God it's Thursday or Friday or whatever they call it. There ain't no restaurants. There's nothing in this village but maybe 10 houses. And so my train takes off and I don't know what to do. And so I do the only thing I know to do. I sit down atop my luggage and wonder what's going to happen next. And when I did that, the Lord downloaded an entire teaching to me entitled, I Don't Know Moments. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Now, as we get into this, the first thing I want to say to you is in these I Don't Know Moments, and every, listen, every journey of faith will be heavy laden. There will be a lot of, if you're walking by faith, there will be a lot of I don't know moments for you. Because faith does not always fill in every detail. That's why we're walking by faith and not by sight. Many times when you're walking by faith, the only answer you can give your neighbors, your children, your aunts, your uncles, is I don't know. And it's what we do in those I don't know moments that determine our success or failure in life. What you do during these moments is what matters concerning victory. Are y'all ready? Go with me, if you would, to the book of Ecclesiastes. I want to read to you chapter verses 1 through 8. To everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pull up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Now, when I was reading this this morning, I thought, my word. Solomon looked ahead in time and saw social distancing. It's <laughs> what he says, a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. As we journey through life, this is what Solomon noticed as he observed life. Life is not one dimension. Life is not filled with one season. I've said this, and I'm not the only one to have ever said it, but the good old days weren't always good. Y'all know that, right? We only seem to remember. People either have a, they, a very selective memory. They only remember the bad. Or they only remember the good. But what we seem to forget is every season has its beauty and its danger. It has its labors and it has its rewards. We touched on this last week when we talked about out of Genesis 8 that there will be winter and summer, heat 
and cold, that these things will remain. And what I told you last week was this. Winter is as much a part of God's plan as is summer. It may not be as enjoyable, but it does have its own unique beauty. And what you and I need to do as we walk by faith, we have an opportunity to observe the beauty even in an unpleasant season. Summer has its beauty. There ain't nothing like a summer sunset. But it's in summer you also get sunburned. Right? Winter has its beauty. I, what I, I remember one time when we were in Poland, my wife and I were looking outside, and when I say it was cold, baby, I ain't talking no 30 degrees. I'm talking like 50 below without wind chill. And when we were in our house looking out our windows and it was that cold, it literally, we witnessed a phenomena that I had never seen before. And I grew up in Michigan. I thought I knew cold. We saw something. It looked like the sky was exploding with diamonds. It was just the whole sky was like popping. And it was, it was crazy. It was, it was beautiful, but you knew you didn't go outside. Because, y'all, y'all follow me? Because 50 below, you can die. But from the inside of the house, it sure was pretty. And what I discovered by researching it later on, we were witnessing a phenomenon that only takes place in bitterly cold, sunny days. And what it is, is the, 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 it is so cold that the humidity that's in the air, those little tiny microscopic water droplets that are there, they're already frozen, right? But they get so cold, they explode. And it literally, when the sun hits it, it looks like... Looks like Crystal fireworks filling the sky. It's beautiful. There's a beauty in every season, but there's also extreme danger. So what I want to tell you today is, and this is what Solomon noted, that life is multifaceted. It ain't all good, and it ain't all bad. But if we walk by faith, God takes the good and the bad, and he makes it a tapestry of our lives. You know, we can learn in the bad times, perhaps even better than we learn in the good times. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Season, notice he said, it, to everything, is this okay this morning? Good. To everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. The word season, and I want you to get this because this is going to really help you as we unpack this today. Season is not a time on a calendar. Season properly defined is a time dedicated to an action. Now I want you to remember this because this is going to help. This is why your, your life can have a multitude of seasons happening at the same time. Stay with me. Everyone say, I'm listening. See, we just, we think spring starts on this day and ends on this day. But you know, spring actually is called, it used to, in the olden times, it was called springing up time. Okay. We've shortened it to spring, but it was originally called springing up time. Okay. Why? Because that was the time when it was dedicated to the springing up of the plants. Yes. And even you go back just to my grandma, my grandma didn't call fall, fall. She called it harvest. Why? Because that was the, 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 the time of the year that was dedicated to a certain action, which was harvesting. You didn't harvest in the springing up time. You harvested at harvest time, and that's the, you knew what season, it, listen, you knew what season it was by what you were doing in it. And, and Solomon said there is a time for every season under heaven. And every season has a purpose. But what I want to talk to you about today is what do you do when you're in between seasons? When that which was ain't no more, but that which has been promised hasn't come yet. Because these are the trying times. These are the times 
Even the people of God are tempted, and I'm going to show you this today, they're tempted to go back to what they know because in a time of uncertainty, the influence of the familiar cries out mighty loud. Because it's easier to go back to what we know, even if when we were doing it, we didn't like it, but we know what to expect. We know where we're going to sleep. We know what we're going to get paid. We know when we're going to get paid. We know who's in our lives. And so when God is moving us to something new, we want to go back to the old because we're familiar with it, even if we didn't like it when we were going through it. And so what you do when you don't know, do you go forward, do you go back, do you go left, do you go right? What I want to tell you today is that you don't know what to do, you just stand there. If you are where God has placed you, listen, one of the tragedies I've, I've witnessed in the lives of God's people, they love the Lord, for that I have no doubt. But I've witnessed so many times when things become unpleasant, uncomfortable or unpainful the people or are painful the people of God abdicate where God placed them for somewhere else right I mean we stay where we are as long as people celebrate us but when they stop celebrating us they find I want to go somewhere else and here's what I want to tell you. What you do when you're in that I don't know moment determines what happens for you later on. When we don't know what to do, if you are where God placed you, you just stay there till the next set of instructions come. What you don't do is you don't leave where you are looking for another place. Because if you leave where you are, when your ride comes, you'll miss it. Is this okay? You getting anything out of this? In winter, listen, in winter we know what to expect. Enjoyable or unpleasant, we know what to expect. We know it's going to be cold. So we adapt, so we can overcome. But where it gets dangerous is when winter is leaving, but it ain't quite spring yet. You know what you're supposed to do. You might start the day out with a coat and end the day with shorts. Y'all following me? Because how, what the weather's going to do, you don't know. And this is where people get sick. Why? Because they prepare for one and experience the other. Y'all following me? This has everything to do with, with our, our spiritual journey, too. Because the, when, when things are changing and anyone asks us, where no. what are you going to do? I don't know. How long is this going to take? I don't know. These I don't know moments are common to all of us. And we need to learn how to navigate or what to do in the I don't know moment. In that time when we're fed up with what has been, disconnected and tired of what was, but not really connected to the new yet. When I was sitting there on my suitcases, my mind went to Abraham, Abram. And I want to read to you out of Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Abram, the father of faith, the model of faith for all of us, it should not be surprising to us that Abram had I don't know moments. Can I say this to you? The more we walk by faith, the more I don't know moments we'll have. It's just part of the journey. God told Abraham in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, leave your country your family, and your father's home for a land that I will show you. Notice he hadn't shown him it yet. In fact, the Bible says he left not knowing where he was going. One of the things about faith that is so frustrating is we often don't know where we're going, how long is it going to take. All we know is God said go. And if we're not willing to step out unto the unknown, we'll never have faith stories to tell. If you need to know everything before you do anything, then you're always going to be walking by sight and not by faith. Because sometimes in walking by faith, all you know to do is what he told you to do, and you don't know how he's going to bring about the promise. 
So when he tells you to give, you don't need to know how the return's going to come. All you need to know is he said give, so I'm giving of my time, my effort, and my energy, and I know that he will bring it back to me. How he does, through whom he does, I don't know. I don't even know when he's going to do it. Sometimes, and maybe I'm the only one that's ever experienced this, sometimes I wish he would do it sooner. But I do know this, that when I obey him, he will always do what he promised to do eventually and inevitably. So God told Abraham, leave your country. Everyone say country. This was the first level, if you would, of his departure. He had to leave his country. Then he had to leave his family. And then God brought it really close. He had to leave Father's house. Three levels of familiarity. And he had to leave every one of them to go and search. Get this. Hebrews tells us he was looking for a city not made with hands. Go look for that. And think about the conversation that as people were watching Abram pack his convoy... Abram, where are you going? I don't know. Which way are you going to travel? I don't know. Why are you leaving? Well, God said he was famous. Why can't he do that here? How many of you ever heard that? Why can't God do that? Why do you got to leave? Why can't God heal you right here? Why can't God do this right here? Ours is not to ask why. Ours is just to do what the Lord says. You're following me? God, let's, let's read this and then I'll unpack it. God said this, leave your country, your family, your father's house for a land that I will someday, somehow show you. I'll make you a great nation and bless you. I'll make you famous be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Those who curse you, I'll curse. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. He had to leave all of those influences for a promise that he did not know how it was going to come to pass. And every single answer to every single question would have been, I don't know. Here's something you'll see as we unpack this more. Every great move of God, historically and in our lives, hear me when I say this, Every great move of God is found on the other side of an I don't know moment. For those who shrink back, and I don't want to jump too far ahead, but those who, when they're faced with an I don't know moment, shrink back to what they know, they'll never see the mighty move of God in their lives. Because every move of God, when Abram obeyed God, he gave birth to the nation of Israel. He gave birth to the people of God because he navigated successfully through an I don't know moment. If If Abram had said, Lord, I think you can make me great right here. I think you can make, listen, if you're gonna make me famous, you ought to make me famous in a place they already know me. Y'all here this morning? I'm I'm known in Ur, nobody knows me out there. But in Ur, everyone knows me. So Lord, if you want to make me famous, make me famous here. That would have cost Abram. I need you all to be listening to me. Because if Abram had done that, God's plan would not have stopped. God would have just found somebody else and we would be calling somebody else. Maybe Nathan, the father of faith. We'd have been calling somebody else the father of faith because if we won't do what God tells us to do, God will find somebody somewhere who will obey him because the plans of God will come to pass. The question is, are they going to come to pass in our lives? Ah, I'm getting blessed out of this even if you ain't. The in-between time, listen to this, the in-between time, you're in between what, that which you know and that you don't know. That's the proving ground. Listen to this, this is where, this I don't know moment that every one of us will face, the I don't know moment is where dreams will grow or they will die. I want to say that again. This is where dreams will grow 
or this is where dreams will die. Where vision will either manifest or it will perish. Where character will grow strong or it will expire. And where you will either succeed or you will fail. In the I don't know moments. This is where your faith gets tested. Because when you know, faith ain't much required. But when God calls you from one level to the next level, that in between levels, you don't know. Right? This is, and, and a lot of times we can have identity crises in these I don't know moments. I know I had one. When God told us it was time to stop being missionaries, I didn't know who I was. I was sitting on a porch in Sepulpa, Oklahoma, asking God, who am I? Because I'm no longer the missionary. I'm no longer the apostle. What am I? This is the testing time. This is where you're either going to draw back and say, well, you know what? I know, God, you may have had more for me, but I'm comfortable with this. And in doing so, we will forfeit our destiny. Or we'll say, God, I am moving on. Maybe they won't call me by that same title. Maybe I was at level 10, but at the next level, I got to start all over again. But God, I'm willing to grow again and again and again. As long as you're constantly bringing me to that place, the psalmist called the wealthy place. God, I don't care where we go as long as you and I go together. Y'all getting anything out of this? Go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 38. I need you to really listen here. And I want, I want you to hear what I say, not what I don't say. It's amazing how many times people, especially if they don't like what's being said, they'll hear what you didn't say. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, the Bible says, But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Now I want you to stop right there. God never said, if he shrinks back, I stop loving him. This has no effect on God's affection for you. But God said, my righteous one shall live by faith. And if, which means there is the possibility, however unlikely, there is the possibility that when faced with the unknown, even the righteous ones of God will shrink back. And God says, if he shrinks back, I have my soul has no pleasure. Once again, he didn't say I cease loving. If we shrink back, we do not divorce ourselves from the love of God. But we rob God of his pleasure in us. I want to say that again. If we shrink back, we do not divorce ourselves from the love of God. But we rob God of his pleasure in us. What do you mean by that? I'm glad you asked. Go to the book of Psalms and then we'll come back to Hebrews. Psalm 35, verse 27. Let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause. And let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. You see, there's that word, pleasure. Now, this is what you and I need to understand. God receives and takes no pleasure in your brokenness. God did not break you to leave you broken. Sin does that. God takes pleasure in our wholeness. That's what the word prosperity means. It means whole, nothing broken, nothing missing. 
I, I, I've got relational prosperity. I've got financial prosperity. I've got spiritual prosperity. I've got emotional prosperity. I'm sound, I'm stable, I'm whole. And when God looks at one of his children who have been made whole because they've won every battle, they've jumped every hurdle, they've done everything he's told them to do, and step by step in their journey, everything that was lost has been restored. Everything that was missing has been replaced. Everything that was broken has been fixed. And now they stand before God in all of heaven completely whole. As if sin had never done a job on them. As if their children had never walked out on them. As if their loved ones had never... They are completely and totally whole. And the only thing a whole person can say is, Would you look at what the Lord has done? I was broken so bad, my own mama didn't love me no more. I was messed up. But look what God has done. He fixed those brokenness. He, He replaced the broken pieces. He completely restored me. When God sees us whole... He has pleasure. Yes, sir. Yes, yes. He gets happy about that. Does he love the broken? Of course he loves the broken. He loves them so much he would die for an entire world of them. But he receives no pleasure in their brokenness. That's why he's dedicated to your wholeness. He's completely committed to fixing every problem in your life so that he can look at you and smile and say, That's my daughter. Yes, sir. That's my son. Would you look at the great, what grace has done in their lives? They're completely whole. There's nothing broken. There's nothing missing in their lives. So now let's go back to Hebrews chapter 10. God said, if he shrinks back, I have no such pleasure. My love is undaunted. My love still flows toward them, but I have no pleasure now. Why? Because they've shrank back from the I don't know moment. They had an opportunity to step out in faith, but their head got in the way and they shrank back. To what do we shrink back? Let's keep reading. But we are not of those who shrink back to... See, you ain't just going back to a familiar place. You're going back to your own destruction. Shundaliandai. What does that mean? When God... Listen, everyone, all, all eyes, all eyes. I know we're missing a lot. All eyes. When God asks you to take a step of faith, He's not trying to strip you from something. He's not trying to make you less. He's trying to make you more. Every time God asks you to take a step of faith, He's trying to construct something gorgeous and beautiful, glorious in your life. Every step of faith, God is able to construct. Every time we obey Him, God is able to construct. Everything we do for His kingdom, God is able to construct. But when we draw back, we draw back. We're not constructing. We're destructing what God was trying to construct. Because God can only build what He wants to build through the faith that we give Him. This is the reason why, listen, you can give everything you have. But if it's not given in love... Paul said it amounts to nothing. Why? Because the only tool God can use to build a glorious life for you is your faith. So when we shrink back from faith, when we say, God, it's, I just, it's too uncertain. It's too dangerous. There's too many variables. What God is pleading, if we would have ears to hear, I believe we would hear the Spirit of God begging us, entreating us, would you just trust me? Would you just trust me? I'm not asking you to give so I can make you a pauper. I'm not asking you to love so you can get hurt again. All I'm asking is you to trust me so that I can give you beauty for those ashes you've learned to treasure so well. That I can give you joy for that sorrow that you've become too familiar with. Would you just trust me? And it's always through faith that he does these things. Hmm. There was another group of people, not just Abram. I, I need to, ooh, I'm running out of time. There were another group of people that had an opportunity to navigate through an I don't know moment. There were men and women who followed Jesus... And Jesus gave him a command after his death. 
He said, don't you dare leave Jerusalem until the promise of the Father comes. I think it's interesting that he had to tell them, don't you dare leave Jerusalem. Because for them at that time, Jerusalem was the last place they wanted to be. Jerusalem is where the persecution was. Jerusalem is where the danger was. Jerusalem is where the uncertainty was. In Jerusalem, they weren't being celebrated. They were being hunted down. It would have been easy to leave Jerusalem, to go where someone didn't know them, and they didn't get those nasty looks when they walked down the street, and they weren't afraid of every cop. Jesus said, don't you dare leave. You stay here. Stay here for what? Till the promise of the Father comes. Now, here's what I want you to engage your imagination. They didn't know what the promise of the Father was. Come on now. They, there was no point of reference for cloven tongues of fire sitting there. had never before been a baptism in the Holy Ghost. Oh, Isaiah might have prophesied it, but they didn't know what tongues were. Y'all listening to me? So can you imagine the conversation when that little band of men and women gathered in the upper room? How long are we supposed to sit here? I don't know. Peter, you're like the number one guy. What is the promise of the Father? I don't know. Well, what are we supposed to do with it when we get it? Come on now. I don't know. It would have been easy to disband and to run for it. They had to sit there waiting for something they couldn't describe, didn't know what they were going to do with it when they got it. And then when it came, can you imagine the questions? What's that sound? I don't know. Peter, what's that on your head? I don't know. The answer to every question when you and I are in this season of life when God brought us from somewhere, but we're not where he told us we were going yet. Can you see the application to your dreams, your businesses, your ministries, your homes, your families, and everything? You have a promise of God, but it ain't yet. But the instruction for, from God was you got to leave where you are to get to where I'm taking you. Right. And you're not there yet, but you're not there anymore. Now what do you do? When you are, listen to this, when you are in the land of I don't know, the past is a very tempting place to retreat to. I remember Peter said this when faced with the uncertainty of not knowing what was coming. You know what he said? I'm going fishing. And you know what everyone else said? We go with you. Why? Because fishing they knew how to do. Fishing they were familiar with. Their rabbi was gone. Are y'all following me? It made no sense to stay here. It made no sense to keep believing. When, when, when the, the one you were believing in seems to have abandoned you, when it seems like you stepped out in faith and now the ground itself below you just disappeared. Peter wasn't the only one that talked about fish. Listen to this. When the children of Israel were between Egypt and the promised land, they were, listen, God delivered them from a time of slavery, but they were not yet in a time of mastery. God will always make slaves into masters, but not overnight. It takes a different mindset to be a master than it does to be a slave. And God had to instill. But doesn't the Bible talk about the renewing of your mind? When the children of Israel were, they had labored on others' lands, but they weren't yet laboring on their own land. And they were faced with uncertainty. Listen to what they said. We remember the fish. Just like Peter, they remembered fish, which we did eat in Egypt freely. 
the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic, but now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. The very word manna means, what is it? Y'all followed me this morning. All they had was manna. Manna represented, I don't know. They had never seen manna before. The answer to the question, what is this? I don't know. It says we're supposed to eat it. Well, what do you think would happen if we gather it all up and hold it till tomorrow? I don't know. Let's try. Are y'all with me? Manna means, what is this? I don't know. When faced with what they did not know, they hungered for what they used to have. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 4, this is what it says. So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Do you see that? They were promised their own land. What did they want? To go back to Egypt. How were they going to get it? They said, let's appoint someone else who will take us back. Because I'm tired of all this faith stuff. I'm tired of knowing. I just need someone to tell me how much do I give every week. Just tell me, is it 10%, 9%? Don't tell me i got to do it by faith. We love certainty, and faith robs us of the certainty because we have to step out into the unknown. When you're walking by faith, sometimes God might tell you, I don't want 10%, I want 90 Oh, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, you shut down right on that one. If God asks you for 90, it's because he'll, he'll build your dreams with the 10. All right, so listen to this. So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. And they rallied behind a man named Korah. Korah had all the credentials, he just didn't have any of the character of Moses. They rallied behind Korah because Korah said to Moses, I'm just as anointed as you are. I'm going to gather all the people unto me and we're going to go back into Egypt land. How did God deal with that? The Lord told Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get Korah and the 250 who have followed him and you get them to stand over by their tents and I want you to get everyone else and they're going to stand over here. And the Lord dealt really gently with Korah and his followers. The land opened up and it swallowed them and all of their possessions and all of their tents. And then according to Hebrew tradition, when everything they were disappeared, the land closed right back up again. There was no trace. What is the Lord saying? Don't go back. You can't go back. You've taken a step of faith. There ain't no going back. Even if you don't know what to do, you don't leave. You don't abandon your post. If you got nothing else to do but sit down on your luggage at a train station in the middle of Hungary, you sit down, you shut up, and you wait. Mm. Seasons come. And seasons go, and there's nothing we can do about that. You can't pray away the changing of the seasons. You can't confess away the changing of the seasons. But what you can do is determine within your own heart that you will sit there. Keep doing what the Lord told you to do until your vehicle of deliverance comes. Listen to this. Abram did not know how long it would take to reach the land that God showed him, but he did reach the land. The children of Israel did not know how long it would take to cross that desert, but they did cross it. The followers of Jesus did not know how long they were going to have to wait, but they did receive. The, when they received, I'm trying to bring this to a close. I got a few more things I got to say, so don't disconnect yet. When they received the promise of the Father, they gave birth to the church of the living God. Whenever you and I survive the I don't know moment and we find ourselves sitting and being strong and waiting in a state of expectation, the thing that God had promised will come. 
But the reason why so many of us are frustrated is because we don't stay where he told us to be long enough for him to do what he promised he would do. Because when things become unpleasant or too uncertain, suddenly we're looking for another place. Well, if it ain't happening here, it's going to happen there. And so we jump from here, we jump to there, we jump to the other place. And a lifetime passes and we say, God, why didn't you do what you said you would do? And God say, you didn't stay where I told you to stay. Whatever we do motivated by impatience will always cost us more than we're willing to pay. Yes. Go to Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. And as that's going up on the screen, here's what I want to tell you. I just sat there on my luggage. Didn't know what to do, where to go. And so this was my determination. Lord, you told me to go to that village. So if you have to send a horse and buggy, I know you're going to get me there. And so I'm just going to sit here. If I get hungry, I'm going to sit here. If I get thirsty, I'm going to sit here. If this is where you, if this is where you ordained for me to die, they'll find my skeleton right here atop my luggage. But I ain't moving. And when the sun had done kissed the earth and disappeared, I remember it every day of my life. Yeah, I was in that twilight time. It wasn't quite dark yet, but daylight was clearly gone. And off in the distance, I saw a light. And I said to myself, I hope that's my train. You know, if we sit long enough somewhere where the Lord told us, hope will return. Because wait doesn't mean you sit in a, a position of apathy. It means you sit in a position of expectation. And so I kept my eye on that light. Could be a star, could be a car. I don't know what it was, but I was hoping it was my train. And as it got darker, the, the light got brighter and it got bigger. And sure enough, you know what pulled up to the station? A train. And so I walked up to the train and I handed the conductor, still couldn't talk to him, I handed the conductor my luggage, or my ticket and my passport. He smiled at me and showed me my booth. My train came. But you know what I would have missed if I had gone looking to the left or to the right or gone back to where I came from? I would have missed my train. Saints of God, don't miss your train. Don't grow weary and leave that station too soon. Because in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, and I'm bringing this to a close. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. That word due, I don't want to break it all down, but in the Greek it literally means private. Not public. What's this mean? It's your season alone. God has ordained for you your own private, personal time of breakthrough. It's yours, not mine. This is the reason I don't judge my journey by yours, and you sure shouldn't judge your journey by mine. Because I might hit my due season before you do. You might hit your due season before me. That's not the point. The point is, we all have our own private personal ordained and orchestrated the architect of heaven designed just for me my own day of breakthrough Hallelujah. it might not be your day and it may not come on the day you said it would or the day I thought it would but I know as sure as there's a throne in heaven and God sits upon that throne God has orchestrated for me my own private breakthrough and if I don't grow weary in that due season I will reap why because I didn't leave my luggage baby I didn't leave my post I stayed here when everyone else walked away and everyone thought I was a dummy for staying. There's a bigger work down here. There's a bigger ministry over there. You'll be more celebrated over there. They'll pay you more over there. Don't go where they'll pay you. Go where God placed you. If you're always looking for payment, you ain't looking for placement. And what you ought to be looking for is placement. God, where do you want me? And when you know where that place is, you stay can I read you just a couple more verses? Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1, or verses 13. Ephesians 6, 13. Therefore put on God's complete armor, that you may be able to resist and stand your ground on the evil day of danger. And having done all the crisis demands, stand firmly in your place. What do you do in an I don't know moment? You stand there with your face set like flint looking for God to do what he told you to do.
Changing of the seasons is not easy and often uncomfortable, but it is also the promise of better things to come. Can I say that again? The changing of the seasons is not easy and it's often uncomfortable, but it is also the promise of better things to come. You and I need to learn just to hang in there. Good things are coming down the tracks. Psalms 27, verse 14. And this is the final and authoritative close. This is what the psalmist said. Here's what I've learned through it all. Don't give up. Don't be impatient. Be entwined as one with the Lord. Be brave and courageous and never lose hope. Yes, keep on waiting, for He will never disappoint you. And with that, I say amen. He will never disappoint us. He will never disappoint us. The one thing we ought not to do is ever shrink back. Can you stand to your feet this morning? Hallelujah, Father. I hope that this helped you. I learned so much from that train station. Sure doesn't mean I want to visit it again. But I'm grateful for the lesson. You know, there are places you and I will never want to visit again. Things we'll never want to go through again. But if we're people of faith, we'll have to admit I learned something then. You know, you all have heard me talk about when my wife and I lived on old bagels delivered to us in a garbage bag. I don't ever want to do that again. I like fresh bagels. But you know what I learned by eating old bagels delivered to me in a garbage bag? God will always meet our need. God will always come through. I've learned through the hardest times of life and I've learned through the best times of life. And this is what I've learned through it all. He's faithful. He's absolutely, undeniably faithful. Let's lift our hands. Father, we thank you for your word today. We take it like a treasure and we hide it in our heart. It's not something we easily dismiss and we're not going to let it go. I pray that, Father, that every one of us watching either here in, in person or watching us online, Lord, I pray that these words would resonate forever in their soul, that when they encounter that I don't know moment, they would hear a voice tell them, hang in there. Hang in there. Don't give up an inch. Don't give up at all. Sit down and wait. I'm coming. Sit down and wait. I'm coming. And when you've done all you know to stand, you just stand. Father, I pray that our trains would come quickly. Pray that they would speed up. And Lord, I ask right now that every person who has anything to do with our provision, if they are the holdup, Lord, I pray that they'd be quick to obey you so they can open up those floodgates and that water can flow through my fields. I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, that every one of your children know provision. Every one of your children know joy. And every one of your children, Father, know what it is to walk in victory through every single I don't know moment in life. In Jesus' name. And everyone said?